Book One, Chapter Two, Part Two, of A Voyage Towards the South Pole and Round the World, Volume One, by James Cook. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by David Cole, Medway, Massachusetts. Departure from the Cape of Good Hope, seventeen seventy-three, January. Next day, towards noon, the gale abated so that we could carry close-reefed topsails. But the weather continued thick and hazy, with sleet and snow, which froze on the rigging as it fell, and ornamented the hull with icicles, the mercury in the thermometer being generally below the freezing point. This weather continued until near noon the next day, at which time we were in the latitude of 59 degrees 12 minutes south, longitude 9 degrees 45 minutes east and here we saw some penguins. The wind had now veered to the west, and was so moderate that we could bear two reefs out of the topsails. In the afternoon we were favoured with the sight of the moon, whose face we had seen but once since we left the Cape of Good Hope. By this a judgment may be formed of the sort of weather we had since we left that place. We did not fail to seize the opportunity to make several observations of the sun and moon. The longitude deduced from it was nine degrees thirty-four minutes thirty seconds east, Mr. Kendall's watch at the same time giving ten degrees six minutes east, and the latitude was fifty-eight degrees fifty-three minutes thirty seconds south. This longitude is nearly the same that is assigned to Cape Circumcision, and at the going down of the sun, we were about ninety-five leagues to the south of the latitude it is said to lie in. At this time the weather was so clear that we might have seen land at fourteen or fifteen leagues' distance. It is therefore very probable that what Bouvet took for land was nothing but mountains of ice, surrounded by loose or field ice. We ourselves were undoubtedly deceived by the ice-hills the day we first fell in with the field ice nor was it an improbable conjecture that that ice joined to land. The probability was, however, now greatly lessened, if not entirely set aside, for the space between the northern edge of the ice, along which we sailed, and our route to the west, when south of it, nowhere exceeded one hundred leagues, and in some places not sixty. The clear weather continued no longer than three o'clock the next morning, when it was succeeded by a thick fog, sleet, and snow. The wind also veered to north-east and blew a fresh gale, with which we stood to south-east. It increased in such a manner that before noon we were brought under close-reefed topsails. The wind continued to veer to the north, at last fixed at north-west, and was attended with intervals of clear weather. Our course was east one-quarter north, till noon the next day, when we were in the latitude of fifty-nine degrees two minutes south, and nearly under the same meridian as we were when we fell in with the last field of ice, five days before, so that, had it remained in the same situation, we must now have been in the middle of it, whereas we did not so much as see any. We cannot suppose that so large a float of ice as this was could be destroyed in so short a time. It therefore must have drifted to the northward, and this makes it probable that there is no land under this meridian, 
between the latitude of fifty-five degrees and fifty-nine degrees, where we had supposed some to lie, as mentioned above. As we were now only sailing over a part of the sea where we had been before, I directed the course east-south-east in order to get more to the south. We had the advantage of a fresh gale, and the disadvantage of a thick fog. Much snow and sleet, which as usual, froze on our rigging as it fell, so that every rope was covered with the finest transparent ice I ever saw. This afforded an agreeable sight enough to the eye, but conveyed to the mind an idea of coldness, much greater than it really was. For the weather was rather milder than it had been for some time past, and the sea less encumbered with ice. But the worst was, the ice so clogged the rigging, sails and blocks, as to make them exceedingly bad to handle. Our people, however, surmounted these difficulties with a steady perseverance, and withstood this intense cold much better than I expected. We continued to steer to the east-south-east with a fresh gale at north-west, attended with sleet and snow till the 8th, when we were in the latitude of 61 degrees 12 minutes south, longitude 31 degrees 47 minutes east. In the afternoon we passed more ice islands than we had seen for several days. Indeed, they were now so familiar to us that they were often passed unnoticed, but more generally unseen on account of the thick weather. At nine o'clock in the evening we came to one which had a quantity of loose ice about it. As the wind was moderate and the weather tolerably fair, we shortened sail and stood on and off, with a view of taking some on board on the return of light. But at four o'clock in the morning, finding ourselves to leeward of this ice, we bore down to an island to leeward of us, there being about it some loose ice, part of which we saw break off. There we brought two, hoisted out three boats, and in about five or six hours took up as much ice as yielded fifteen tons of good fresh water. The pieces we took up were hard and solid as a rock. Some of them were so large that we were obliged to break them with pickaxes before they could be taken into the boats. The salt water, which adhered to the ice, was so trifling as not to be tasted, and, after it had lain on deck for a short time, entirely drained off, and the water which the ice yielded was perfectly sweet and well tasted. Part of the ice we broke in pieces and put into casks. Some we melted in the coppers and filled up the casks with the water, and some we kept on deck for present use. The melting and stowing away the ice is a little tedious, and takes up some time. Otherwise this is the most expeditious way of watering I ever met with. Having got on board this supply of water, and the adventure about two-thirds as much, of which we stood in great need, as we had once broke the ice, I did not doubt of getting more whenever we were in want. I therefore without hesitation directed our course more to the south, with a gentle gale at north-west, attended as usual with snow-showers. In the morning of the eleventh, being then in the latitude of sixty-two degrees forty-four minutes south, longitude thirty-seven degrees east, the variation of the compass was twenty-four degrees ten minutes west, and the following morning, 
in the latitude of 64 degrees 12 minutes south, longitude 38 degrees 14 minutes east, by the mean of three compasses, it was no more than 23 degrees 52 minutes west. In this situation we saw some penguins, and being near an island of ice from which several pieces had broken, we hoisted out two boats and took on board as much as filled all our empty casks, and the adventure did the same. While this was doing, Mr. Forster shot an albatross, whose plumage was of a colour between brown and dark grey, the head and upper side of the wings rather inclining to black, and it had white eyebrows. We began to see these birds about the time of our first falling in with the ice islands, and some have accompanied us ever since. These and the dark brown sort with the yellow bill were the only albatrosses that had not now forsaken us. At four o'clock p.m. we hoisted in the boats, and made sail to the south-east, with a gentle breeze at south by west, attended with showers of snow. On the thirteenth at two o'clock a.m. it fell calm. Of this we took the opportunity to hoist out a boat, to try the current, which we found to set northwest, near one-third of a mile an hour. At the time of trying the current, a Fahrenheit thermometer was emerged in the sea one hundred fathoms below its surface, where it remained twenty minutes. When it came up, the mercury stood at thirty-two, which is the freezing point. Some little time after, being exposed to the surface of the sea, it rose to thirty-three and a half, and in the open air to thirty-six. The calm continued till five o'clock in the evening, when it was succeeded by a light breeze from the south and south-east, with which we stood to the north-east, with all our sails set. Though the weather continued fair, the sky as usual was clouded. However, at nine o'clock the next morning it was clear, and we were enabled to observe several distances between the sun and moon, the mean result of which gave thirty-nine degrees thirty minutes thirty seconds east longitude. Mr. Kendall's watch at the same time gave thirty-eight degrees twenty-seven minutes forty-five seconds, which is one degree two minutes forty-five seconds west of the observations, whereas on the third instant it was half a degree east of them. In the evening I found the variation by the mean of azimuths taken with Gregory's compass, to be twenty-eight degrees fourteen minutes zero seconds. By the mean of six azimuths, by one of Dr. Knight's, twenty-eight degrees thirty-two minutes zero seconds, and by another of Dr. Knight's, twenty-eight degrees thirty-four minutes zero seconds. Our latitude at this time was sixty-three degrees fifty-seven minutes, longitude thirty-nine degrees thirty-eight and a half minutes. The succeeding morning, the fifteenth, being then in latitude sixty-three degrees thirty-three minutes south, the longitude was observed by the following persons, viz. myself, being the mean of six distances of the sun and moon, forty degrees one minute forty-five seconds east. Mr. Wales, ditto, thirty-nine degrees twenty-nine minutes forty-five seconds. Ditto, ditto, thirty-nine degrees fifty-six minutes forty-five seconds. Lieutenant Clerk, ditto, thirty-nine 
thirty-nine degrees thirty-eight minutes zero seconds, Mr. Gilbert ditto thirty-nine degrees forty-eight minutes forty-five seconds, Mr. Smith ditto thirty-nine degrees eighteen minutes fifteen seconds, Meehan thirty-nine degrees forty-two minutes twelve seconds, Mr. Kendall's watch made thirty-eight degrees forty-one minutes thirty seconds which is nearly the same difference as the day before. But Mr. Wales and I took each of us six distances of the sun and moon, with the telescopes fixed to our sextants, which brought out the longitude nearly the same as the watch. The results were as follows. By Mr. Wales, 38 degrees 35 minutes 30 seconds, and by me, 38 degrees 36 minutes 45 seconds. It is impossible for me to say whether these or the former are the nearest to the truth, nor can I assign any probable reason for so great a disagreement. We certainly can observe with greater accuracy through the telescope than with the common sight, when the ship is sufficiently steady. The use of the telescope is found difficult at first, but a little practice will make it familiar. By the assistance of the watch, we shall be able to discover the greatest error this method of observing the longitude at sea is liable to, which at the present does not exceed a degree and a half, and in general will be found to be much less. Such is the improvement navigation has received by the astronomers and mathematical instrument-makers of this age, by the former from the valuable tables they have communicated to the public, under the direction of the Board of Longitude, and contained in the astronomical ephemeris, and by the latter, from the great accuracy they observe in making instruments, without which the tables would, in a great measure, lose their effect. The preceding observations were made by four different sextants of different workmen. Mine was by Mr. Bird, one of Mr. Wales's by Mr. Dolland, the other and Mr. Clerk's by Mr. Ramsden, and also Mr. Gilbert's and Smith's, who observed with the same instrument. Five tolerably fine days had now succeeded one another. This, besides giving us an opportunity to make the preceding observations, was very serviceable to us on many other accounts, and came at a very seasonable time. For, having on board a good quantity of fresh water, or ice, which was the same thing, the people were enabled to wash and dry their clothes and linen, a care that can never be enough attended to in all long voyages. The winds during this time blew in gentle gales, and the weather was mild. Yet the mercury in the thermometer never rose above thirty-six, and was frequently as low as the freezing point. In the afternoon, having but little wind, I brought to under an island of ice, and sent the boat to take up some. In the evening the wind freshened at east, and was attended with snow-showers and thick hazy weather, which continued a great part of the sixteenth. As we met with little ice, I stood to the south, close-hauled, and at six o'clock in the evening, being in the latitude of sixty-four degrees fifty-six minutes south, longitude thirty-nine degrees thirty-five minutes east, I found the variation by Gregory's compass to be twenty-six degrees forty-one minutes west. At this time the motion of the ship 
was so great that I could by no means observe with any of Dr. Knight's compasses. As the wind remained invariably fixed at east and east by south, I continued to stand to the south, and on the 17th between 11 and 12 o'clock we crossed the Antarctic Circle in the longitude of 39 degrees 35 minutes east, for at noon we were by observation in the latitude of 66 degrees 36 minutes 30 seconds south. The weather was now become tolerably clear, so that we could see several leagues round us, and yet we had only seen one island of ice since the morning. But about 4 p.m., as we were steering to the south, we observed the whole sea in a manner covered with ice, from the direction of south-east round to the south by west. In this space thirty-eight ice islands, great and small, were seen, besides loose ice in abundance, so that we were obliged to luff for one piece, and bear up for another, and as we continued to advance to the south, it increased in such a manner, that at three quarters past six o'clock, being then in the latitude of sixty-seven degrees fifteen minutes south, we could proceed no farther, the ice being entirely closed to the south, in the whole extent from east to west-south-west, without the least appearance of any opening. This immense field was composed of different kinds of ice, some as high hills, loose or broken pieces packed close together, and what I think Greenland men call field ice. A float of this kind of ice lay to the south-east of us, of such extent that I could see no end to it from the masthead. It was sixteen or eighteen feet high at least, and appeared of a pretty equal height and surface. Here we saw many whales playing about the ice, and for two days before had seen several flocks of the brown and white pintados, which we named Antarctic pectorals, because they seem to be natives of that region. They are, undoubtedly, of the petrel tribe, are in every respect shaped like the pintados, differing only from them in colour. The head and fore part of the body of these are brown, and the hind part of the body, tail, and the ends of the wings are white. The white petrel also appeared in greater numbers than before, some few dark grey albatrosses, and our constant companion the blue petrel. But the common pintados had quite disappeared, as well as many other sorts, which are common in lower latitudes. End of Book 1, Chapter 2, Part 2